Shut up and sit down. Um, still getting used to my headset. It's really weird talking with both headphones on. Um, I feel like I'm in a box. It's very bizarre. Uh, I was in the chat room just now talking about um, I'm on a diet, and um, I'm kind of I'm kind of a psycho about dieting, which is I don't do it often, but I have to get my A1C down. Um, <clears throat> and here's the thing about me and dieting: when I diet, I treat my calories like dollars, and I'm like really miserly and stingy with it i'm like do i need to spend my calories on this like it's like i'm looking at a piece of chicken i'm thinking that's like 240 calories i could eat like two apples for that and it's like i treat it like i'm like i'm shopping with with money and it it's ridiculous and i probably need to stop because it's probably not healthy but um i did eat the chicken <laughs> I did. I did have a fried piece of chicken for for lunch today. Um, I regret nothing. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm dollaring. I'm I'm dollaring my way through a diet. Uh, so um, I've got three Ritz crackers left, um, and that's my last my carbs for the day. So I will be eating them during the 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 course of this podcast. You might hear some crinkling or crackling or chewing, um, and um, just. You're going to have to suck it up because <laughs> I only got three left and I plan to enjoy them immensely. Tonight we're going to talk about our author's relationship with Canon. Um, and Julie's on the phone, so we're going to get her on the air and um, and um, start talking about it because I'm sure she has some opinions. <laughs> Don't you? I, I do, and, and, and I'm, I'm often unfaithful to Canon. I'm, I'm terrible, what can I say? <laughs> if Canon divorced me, it would get like the house and the in the settlement. <laughs> okay, so here's the question um, that Ravens Rookery has asked. It's part of a big ass question she la- she asked on our um, on the site and um, on the Ask Me Anything page. And I um, have bro- I've broken it up into parts. Uh, so um, the first thing she says is, I've only seen snippets of the Hobbit movies, but I do agree that Richard Armitage makes a beautiful dwarf. He makes a beautiful anything. <laughs> Just, just my opinion. Even, even wow. a serial killer. Yeah, he even makes a beautiful yeah. serial killer. Wow. Okay. Do you watch television show or movie and get inspired from the actors and actresses' portrayals, or by by coming across fic and reading it by happenstance and then seeking out the source material? I think I remember you saying that you'd never watched the Sentinel before you started writing in the fandom. Do you think a fic writer needs to see the movie, the television show, or read the books? that their work is based on to really perfect their work. And I'm going to tell you something that's probably not politic. Often in fandom, the canon isn't as important to readers as the fanon. And it greatly yeah, depends on, and it greatly depends on the fandom. If you have not rifled through Tolkien's desk and learned everything you possibly could about Middle Earth, don't roll up! Don't roll up into the Lord of the Rings fandom 
and expect to get away with it. No kidding. Because they no kidding. They give it. They give an immense shit about their canon, <laughs> right? But you get yeah. a fandom like yeah. Teen Wolf, and Teen Wolf, the 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 fan, the canon is so inconsistent, inconsistent, and ambiguous. And I don't even know what the hell I was trying to say the first time. Inconsistent and ambiguous and shoddy that you could do whatever the hell you want, and the fandoms are like, "Thank you, thank you." <laughs> Because <laughs> the readers are so deprived in that fandom for quality canon, right? Well, yeah, the canon was so inconsistent that, I mean, they they contradict themselves on a regular basis in canon. I mean, it, a lot of fandoms do this, as they, and it actually tends to generate a lot of fix-it-fic. Fix, um, they, they contradict themselves wildly, and so... You know, you can actually go into Teen Wolf and say, I'm ignoring all canon, and, like, nobody even blinks. But you go into to Lord of Rings and you say, I'm, I'm ignoring canon, and you better be really careful that you can specify which canon you're ignoring, and you're going to get called out on any other canon that you didn't specify that you're ignoring. And maybe even call out on the canon that you did say you were going to ignore, because how could you possibly ignore that piece of canon? I mean, people get very attached For to it. real. Like that whole section of fandom who's really pissed still after so many years that uh, Peter Jackson skipped a, a what's his name Bob in the Woods um, Bob There's a character in Lord of the Rings um, in the first book um, who lives in the woods, and I cannot remember his name for the life of me. It just fell right out of my head. Oh. And I'm sure somebody's screaming it at me. Um, but Peter Jackson skipped that in the movie. People lost their shit. Long enough. If Lady Holder was here, yeah, no kidding. To tell me. He was. <laughs> oh, Tom, 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 Yeah. So, people lost their shit, right? I mean, they were like. If he were to cover all the, now the thing is, it's anything up the screenplay. If I could, whenever I see something as epic as Lord of the Rings is going to go to become a movie, you got to just prepare for the fact that they are covering everything they can't possibly. Um, you know, we would have to go back to the days of intermissions and in movies. You know, I mean, it's just it's absurd to think that you're going to get all of it. The issue I had was that with so much canon to work with, they manufactured stuff that wasn't in canon. Um, wildly out, you know, I mean, and, and considering I felt like he was trying in some ways to do a really, a, you know, a, a kind of do justice to the story. And this is where my relationship with canon was a little bit, because I, like, I had a real issue with elves being at Helm's Deep. Um, I just kind of, I had tilted over over that so hard in the theater that I almost sprained my neck. Uh, it was just like, what? I felt I, 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 like I needed to like look under the under the chair for which book he was using to inspire that particular scene. So, um, you know, little bits here and there, I you know, to make it more adaptable and more interesting for the audience. But some things, like you know, battles were not something that were uninteresting, <laughs> and how they're won and stuff. That wasn't an uninteresting element that he needed to spice up. So that he chose to kind of uh, go off off script was a little bit strange and to me anyway 
Uh, but other things, I could totally understand why some things were kind of glossed over or skipped, and like the destruction of the Shire and all of that. Um, in a movie, you don't want to leave things on that kind of note. Um, and that whole plot line he basically removed. Uh, understandably, I probably, you know, if I'd been the screenwriter, writer, I probably would have made the same choice. So he, you know, they had to make some cuts to bring books that long to the screen and not be, have it be 12 movies. And let's be honest, The Return of the King had like six endings anyway. Yeah, it didn't need more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally the book had six endings. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, so it's funny. So some fandoms you kind of are, are going to have a hard time. I actually do not think that you need to know source material to write in the fandom. I, it's a struggle for me sometimes when I write in a fandom I'm really unfamiliar with. And then I wind up spending so much time researching the source material that I might as well just watch the show. <laughs> um, right. So says the woman I, I mean, I read, I, read like five seasons of Team Wolf scripts. Right. So, I mean, I've read, I read a ton of Teen Wolf to research for the stories I was plotting out. And sometimes I just had to give in and see something on the screen and watch a scene or two or something like that. And I'm really glad it's on Amazon Prime because I don't have to source, you know, buy Teen Wolf. So um, I've now probably seen scenes from easily a, do- a dozen episodes, like a scene here or there. Uh, and it kind of also helps get the character voices in my head a little bit. But I read, spent so much time reading, I might as well just sat down and watch the show, except that when I tried to just watch, I just rolled my eyes so much I would give myself a headache. So uh, <laughs> I was like, nope, nope, nope. Um, but the thing is, I mean, that's a case of where you've got more interesting characters than you've got canon. More interesting. The canon is not as interesting as the characters are. So that makes for a really good fan fiction fodder. Um, where you don't need to know the canon. Just go take those characters and do something fun with them. Um, I thought Magnificent Seven, the TV show, was the same way. The characters were more interesting than the than the canon was, which was why it you know, spawned. It was the fandom of a bazillion AUs. Um, and I mean, I mean AUs, like, not like, not like, you know, a Sentinel Guide AU, but I mean, like, you know, doing like the ATF stuff. The characters. Like the ATF, there was the little britches where like half of them were children instead of adults. Little britches AU. They they had their own werewolf AU, both modern and um, and the people who created these AUs for the most part would allow you to write in their AU as long as you followed the rules of their AU. So it was a really different dynamic in where Fanon took over from Canon because the Canon was kind of a dull western, but you had a lot of really really interesting characters. So, um, but then there's some shows where the Canon is more interesting in a way than the characters are. Um, Babylon 5. Yeah, Babylon 5 was the example that came to my mind, too. I mean, not that the characters were bad. It's just that the canon was so good that um, I didn't want to do anything with it, and the characters weren't interesting enough for me to keep pulling at it. Like, Star Trek was one where you had interesting canon and interesting characters, and we kept pulling at those characters, you know? Um I think Farscape has really great canon um, and really great characters. But as I've said before in previous podcasts, I can't touch Farscape as a fan fiction writer because I think it's perfect. Right, right. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing, you just, you know, and there's kind of an OTP there. Like, you just don't, it's like, leave it alone. (laughs) Um, Right. 
some things you just kind of draw a little box around. You go, oh, that was perfect. Let's not mess with it. That's just like the um, OTS, my one true show. I mean, there's just no <laughs> – what? No. Yeah, there you I, don't go. Even read, I don't even read in that fandom because fuck that. Absolutely not. I'm not letting anybody mess with my canon or my head canon for Farscape. No. Nobody is invited. But Farscape is perfect the way it is. And, and in some ways, you know, for me, a lot, um, until the movie, um, Firefly was pretty damn perfect. Uh, and they did I'm the movie. I'm the wind. The the movie just didn't happen, you know. It just <laughs> look. My head canon for um, the the movie is that Wash was actually a Highlander and he's not dead. They come back to the ship and he's regenerated. Right there, you go. That's and I'm I'm with you there. And and I think that Zoe is too because I I told that totally. I have Wash and Zoe forever kind of thing, and right. she she's an immortal too. And now she just needs to die so they can be together forever and there'll be no head hunting and you know. It was just that's just that's just crazy shit didn't happen. So, um, I mean, but the, and the if somebody kind comes of for her bird. husband's head, if somebody comes for her husband's head, she kicks their ass and takes their head. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And but to, to be honest, I mean, we all we, the the Serenity movie was really you know a, a big double bird at um, um, the Fox TV network. So. Uh, um, but you know, when it comes to the funny thing is when it comes to the relationship with canon that readers have with canon or that authors have with canon, um, we can be remarkably hypocritical. And what I mean by that is that um, if you talk to a Tony Ziva shipper, they are going to be all up in your face about the fact that their ship is canon, you know, and that whatever ship you're doing with Tony isn't canon. And so as if they have some sort of moral high ground. But then if you point out all of Ziva's wrongdoings in in the show, um, they will get blinders and act like you're not even talking. Like, well, but she was a spy. It doesn't really make sense that, you know, Tony's relationship with her didn't make sense for these reasons. And she was... She she committed espionage and she did all these awful things. Oh, you know, kind of they just kind of like that part will blow off. It doesn't matter, but I'm going to be dogged to the point of the absurd about the fact that they slept together once, um, which is fine. I'm not I'm not saying that you can't go write that. I'm just saying that it's like if you challenge people on what part of canon they embrace, they will lose their shit. <laughs> Um, and I can't say that I'm not the same way about Tony in general because his character is so wildly inconsistent in canon that I do choose to ignore um, pieces of things that don't really make sense, just don't jive. And, you know, if somebody challenges me on that, I'm not going to go and lose my mind and get defensive. I'm just going to say, well, you know, his character is inconsistent for these reasons and these are the reasons why I've chosen to ignore that and, if you don't like it, you don't have to read my work. But people can get very uptight about the part of canon that they um, are dogged about and don't want to see, don't, don't want to let go of. And if you challenge that or point out that you know that canon is a little bit has these, this, there's a big giant glaring plot hole in that piece of canon. It can get very upsetting to people. I don't let people. <laughs> um, I don't entertain excuses or conversation about this um, particular thing. If I do something that's contrary to canon and someone complains about it, I, I tell them to kiss my ass. 
I'm not going to give them any explanations or any reasons. And it's because of the Sentinel fandom. I learned that was a lesson I learned early on. And let me tell you, um, if you've not listened to my podcast in the past, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But in the Sentinel fandom, I um, came out of the gate with a 60K novel. Um, And I confessed a couple years afterwards that I had never, at that point, had not watched the Sentinel. I'd never watched a single episode. But here's the thing about the fandom's um, response. I had a great response for the majority of fandom. I even won awards for that book, Um, you know, reader awards. Uh, But there was a small percentage of the fandom who took great exception to my portrayal of Blair based on their personal fanon. Mm -hmm. Not a single person hit me and told me I was writing the characters out of character per canon circumstances. Every single person who hit me on that fic told me that I wasn't adhering to the fanon fanon representation of Blair Sandberg. (sighs) That I wrote him too strong. Seriously, someone said that, that he was too strong. She also said in that particular email, because I still have it, and (laughs) and every once in a while I'll pick it up and read it, just because, just so I can keep it fresh in my mind, right? Uh, Did I ever? Um, She also said that she had a difficult time relating to the story because Jim wasn't the superior in the pairing. She complained about the equality in their relationship. Well, that's just that's somebody who's just enamored with the way that that a segment of the Sentinel fandom went off into slave sick. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, but yeah, I told multiple people in that fandom to kiss my ass, the fuck off, and yeah, in fact, I'd probably said that's how I earned my reputation in fandom for being a bitch. Yeah, because a fandom start a, fa- a segment of fandom starts to bully you, and you tell them kiss my ass, and, and then suddenly you're the bitch. It's like, oh, okay, that now there you go. There's another example of gaslighting, folks. Right? <laughs> fandom, right? A, a, a segment of fandom bullies somebody, and when they say no, you're not going to get away with bullying me. You suddenly become the bitch. <sighs> Sigh. You know, I got challenged. I get some, not as much challenged. People ask me questions. It's sort of like it's passive aggressive challenging. Like people write me and say, "Well, why did you do this with Tony when in canon it's this?" Um, and it's usually about his biographical data because I'm pretty consistent about his his biographical information. I always have his mother have the same name. I always have him born on the same day. Um, I mean, I haven't had a reason to change that. And especially like people say, "Well, why did you make Tony younger than he is in canon?" Well. Let me explain something, folks. Canon did not give us an age on Tony for a long time. And they were actually inconsistent about his age. Um, And then they just settled on Michael Weatherly's birthday, which was like, what the fuck? So um, a lot of people 
from the biographical information we had for Tony, which was how much information we, how much work history he had, how long he went to college, backtracked from his start date at NCIS, and backtracked how old he was. And it was pretty common that most people came up with that he was born in 72 or 73, based upon his work history. Possibly later, if his stint at the police department was more like 18 months and not two years. And then all of a sudden, it comes out in canon that he was born in 68. Well... That gives him, even if you don't want to, even if you decide to change your stories from that point forward to be compliant with canon, and I don't, I'm not going to go backward and fix that kind of shit. But even if you decide to be compliant with canon at, at, at that point, um, that's still like a five or six year gap in work and in in life history. Now, now as a fan fiction writer, you can do something interesting with that. I've had a couple of plot bunnies where I make him his canon age, and I have him like do a tour of duty or something in that time period, or you know work for the CIA or something bizarre like that. And you could do something with that, but I haven't gotten, I haven't written anything where I needed to compromise my own headcanon to deal with canon, because if I compromise my headcanon, I'm going to have to. Um, explain in whatever story, let's say I've got a story plotted based upon my usual backstory for him, I have to now work out what he did with that five years. And if it's not interesting, I'm not going to write it. The people will kind of poke at, well, why did you get inconsistent here? I actually put a bio up on Tony to try to explain why I did some of the stuff we did. I did with him. Because, um, yeah, I'm cherry-picking the details I liked, or sticking with what I had crafted when I was trying to figure out how old he was or whatever. But I just, when canon is inconsistent, um, it's a bizarre little thing where readers will get really attached to something and want to know, why didn't you stick with this part of canon? It's not, an, it's not an important detail, so why change it? And then sometimes I agree. Like sometimes I see people changing an unimportant detail, and I don't understand why that unimportant detail was changed because it's noticeably different. Except that if you know the canon, there might be a good reason, like why Derek Hale's age is all over the place, why Peter's age is all over the place, why um, Kate's relationship to Derek is different from story to story. It's because canon either doesn't provide this information or canon has provided more than one answer. And it's just one of those things that's not worth getting wrapped around the axle over. At least I don't think it is. Am I still muted? Okay. <clears throat> now there you no, are. I'm not muted. Yeah, and like, and okay. like, and like I the was, sheriff's name being I was John. Eating crackers. <laughs> I was spending yeah, my I calories. Was, I figured. <laughs> they, they, came in, they came in with the characters' names for Teen Wolf, uh, John and Styles, well, Sheriff and Styles, super late. And by then, people had supplied names that people had been reading in fan fiction for six years or more. And going, oh, well, it's not John. It's Noah. <laughs> okay. And you know Which they I did that. I think was like fandom. just punching fandom in the face. That, that being said, fandom. that being said, all there's going to there's gonna be, um, there, there's a thing there because um, now you've got a canon name for him. And um, while readers there's a segment of readers that are going to forgive old fix for having the wrong name. New fix will be expected to have the the right name per canon for some people, not all, but some. Some people will expect that. It's sort of like once they gave us the spelling of Ronan, 
from that point we expected the name to be spelled correctly, but I um, do. And I, 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 and I, I do. And sometimes I, I admit that sometimes when I see Ronan spelled wrong, I'll go back and look at when it was posted. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, come on now. I hate it. I hate to see Ronan misspelled. It drives me insane. I don't know why. It's just one of my SGA quirks. It's, it's a thing. That and Taylor. But the funny thing now. is, if I go and look and I see it was actually posted, um, like when Stargate was the first couple t- couple years that Stargate was on the air, I go, okay, they're forgiven. <laughs> and I just let it go. Like, but there was Evan a, Lawrence's there was, name isn't Evan? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because he wasn't given a name originally in SG-1. So sometimes when you no, see him in SG-1's fix, he's just Major Lorne you never get a first name. And so um, there's lots of various um, names given for Evan in the early SG-1 fix. Um, And it's like in Teen Wolf with, um, with, uh, sometimes, sometimes writers, I actually think when Canon presents you with a deficiency, and this may be me being judgy, but when Canon presents you with a deficiency and you're going to write fan fiction with that deficiency there, I almost feel like as a writer, because you're, you're, it's your job to fill in that deficiency, not let the deficiency remain. So, and for instance, there's, there's a story that's been recommended to me multiple times. I'm sure it's wonderful. I cannot read it because the sheriff is never named. And the story is mostly told from Styles' point of view, and he thinks of his father as sheriff, or Sheriff Stalinsky. The sheriff was home. Sheriff had bugged him about this or that, and I could not get past Styles constantly for this entire story. I actually can't get past the first two chapters, much less the whole novel. Um, thinking of his father as sheriff, it is such I bad characterization that I can't deal with it. I find that annoying, but probably not as much as you do because of how deep your POV is. Well, this story was a very deep point of view. It was dealing with the styles at a very traumatized period. So it was very, actually the point of view was very deep. And he just keeps referring to his father as sheriff. And I just, and the sheriff has never gotten a name in the story. And I felt like that was obvious that the author was trying not to break Despite the fact that canon circumstances were already break, they were not. They were trying not to have a biographical detail be wrong, like a name or something. But man, that was a rough read. That was a rough read. If that bothered me that to that degree, I would put in a, a plain name, like John or Robert or Thomas or something, kind of an average, you know, you know, top ten name, Michael, whatever. And then if I was really bugged by it, then go back and edit the story later. Um, to change it to Noah. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I just find it, I just find it, Canon doesn't provide you with something. Um, I, I I kind of want writers to fill in the gap. That's what I'm looking for. Is how did, what did you do with what Canon didn't provide? Not, you know, <laughs> how did you let that whole stay? <laughs> Yeah, he didn't even call him dad. Um, there are there are some people who feel like that uh, that the dad, 
calling a character mom or dad or whatever in the narrative is peculiar. Um, but it is definitely it's definitely pretty common in in YA books. Uh, it's from the perspective of the younger adult that mom or dad will be mom or dad, like in the dialogue tags or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just the whole thing with um, the name thing. And it's sort of like people, people they kind of had in Team Wolf they kind of had teased that Styles' name real name was Jenim, which is kind of comes into canon. Not canon, but fanfic a lot, or for especially for early, and then it came with like that Miechi Suave thing. Um, is that how you say that? Out of the blue? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's I think it's Miechi Suave. Um, I may have got that a little bit off, but I, I worked on it <laughs> at one point trying to make sure I got it in my head. I don't know why I need to have name pronunciations in my head, but yeah. So. We thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice. <clears throat> For those of you who are in Minion Headquarters, um, I recently posted a little snippet of a Teen Wolf bunny I've got, which has absolutely no plot, by the way, um, because I can't plot it. I read through some summaries of the first season and then just decided that canon wasn't going to be my bailiwick for Teen Wolf. Um, So if you ever see a Teen Wolf book from me, it's not going to resemble any sort of canon that you might be familiar with, because fuck that shit. Anyways... um, so I've been writing um, Always a Girl Styles because I figure if I'm going to bust into the Team Wolf fandom, I might as well kick them in the balls while I do it. <laughs> but um, but I do think it really honestly depends on the fandom. I think you can go into some fandoms if you're very familiar with the fandom and no one is going to know any different. Like I said, no one called me on the canon elements of the Awakening. No one questioned that. There was nobody saying, oh, this is canon, this can't, nobody. Nobody even suspected that I had not read it, that I had not watched a single episode of The Sentinel. Well, they had a real problem with how I treated their fanon. Yeah, but in the Lord of the really, Rings, it, like I said, you got to rifle through Tolkien's desk and get all of his notes and make sure <laughs> you know exactly how far Legolas can see. <laughs> oh, definitely. Because I mean, if you if you just write from the three, from the four books, if you just write from the Hobbit and the Three Lord of the Rings books, no, that's not sufficient. <laughs> no, that's well, not sufficient. Dude, really. No. And God help okay. you if you mix movie canon and book canon together and don't tell them. Just... Well, <laughs> yeah, and that's the problem. Is sometimes, um, sometimes, and you know, if you've read the book, and now some people write strictly movie verse of whatever. So there's people who write strictly movie verse Harry Potter, write strictly movie verse Lord of the Rings, whatever. And that's fine. I don't, I don't really care what verse people write in. But I know my verse, the verse I write in, is a real conflation of the two because sometimes I don't have any clue which one was which. So, um, yeah, I do. I forget, especially especially Lord of the Rings because I uh, read Lord of the Rings so long ago that um, and I did. You know, I don't mind rereading The Hobbit on a regular basis. I mind rereading The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually would. I'd have a real. I, I, I'd hold a real grudge over it. So. Um, Actually, I read a lot, and I enjoy reading, but I have read Lord of the Rings exactly twice my whole life, and I'm I'm good with that. 
some things I don't need to read more than once. That I know from the first read, I don't want to read it again. Now, I knew when I first read The Hobbit that I really was going to, I was going to read that again. But I, I barely got through Lord of the Rings. Um, and there was, there was quite a bit of skimming going on. So uh, conceptually, I really liked the idea of The Lord of the Rings. But it just, I felt like I could tell he was being paid by the word. Yeah, you <laughs> can definitely tell he was paid by the word. Yep. Ugh. Yep. It's just the it, it, I found I just found like the descriptors and stuff to just be so over the top, and I just was like, oh please stop! I can't deal anymore. Um, some things where I've seen the movie more recently, especially more recently, um, it becomes conflated in my head, especially if I feel like the movie nailed something really well. Then it really if the movie is so far off the book, they won't get messed up. But if like Peter Jackson really nailed some imagery for me that just kind of brought the book to life in a way made it me appreciate the book that in a way I hadn't before. And so it becomes very conflated in my head. And the same thing with the Harry Potter universe, right? Is that I know you haven't seen all the movies, but I have. And um, for the most part, I read the books first. I don't think I read, yeah, I read, um, I read Deathly Hallows after I saw the movies. Because mostly I was reading this with my middle sister. I was reading the books with my middle sister when she was young. And um, mm. I wasn't with her I, I read anymore them with my nephew. Deathly Hallows by the out. Yeah, and I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. with her anymore when Deathly Hallows came out. And um, I just kind of, my interest kind of had waned. So, um, so I, I, uh, so there is a conflation with some things in my head because I do see, um, I really see the movies in my head. I thought that the visuals in the movies were really interesting. One thing I would say is I can always tell if somebody has read the, not read the books, when Harry meets Draco in Hogwarts instead of on the train. Because in the movie, he meets him right, right before they get sorted in the castle, but in the books, Draco comes to Harry's train car, and they meet there. And whenever I see somebody having them meet in the castle, it kind of pisses me off, because that's why I stopped watching the movie. I only watched, like, to that point in the movie, and I'm like, what? No. And I <laughs> turned it off, and I was done, and I've never watched anything else as far as the Harry Potter fandom is concerned when it comes to the movies. And the funny thing is, is it's so conflated in my head that I can visualize that scene on the train as if it was mm-hmm. a movie, and so I always had thought it was a movie. <laughs> so, um. They have a conversation, but they don't get introduced yeah, they until don't get, the train. There's no names. Yeah, there's no names. But in the, in the movie, Draco and Harry introduce. Hey, Draco introduces himself to Harry when he realizes he's Harry Potter in the school. But when they meet at the, the um, at the robe shop to get to get their robes, Draco never really doesn't get his name. Does has no idea who he's talking to. So he doesn't put on that air and and introduce himself as you know the heir of the house of Malfoy or whatever. You know he doesn't he 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 does he, treat, he treats Harry like he's worthless, basically. And then he introduces himself on the train to the boy who lived, much like Ron did. Yeah, much like Ron did. 
Ron Drecker were a lot the same in the first year. It's just Ron got there first. <laughs> right? Um, the relationship with Canon. I'm going back and rereading the original question. Da, 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 da. You asked about um, what brings me into a fandom, a show, a movie, um, the, the, the fan fiction. It also, again, depends on the situation because like I said, I'd never watched a single episode of the Sentinel when I got into the Sentinel, but I got into the Sentinel through Stargate because mm-hmm. I was reading a Stargate fic and I read a Sentinel crossover. Um, it was Imperfections by Dasha, I think. Pretty sure it was Imperfections. And that was a mixture of Stargate and Sentinel. And I'm like, oh, what is this? And then I had to go, and then I spent like six months reading the Sentinel. Yeah, I think there's there's a weird path that takes us into fandom, um, the, the new fandoms. And for me, it's rarely the actual source material anymore. Um, usually it's either reading a crossover, reading a fusion, or just following an author I like on their journey. Um, yeah, I busted many a cherry sure. in that fashion. Yeah, you have. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I started reading The Sentinel because of Lady Ra. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong about that. I may have my timeline mixed up. It may have been Lit Gal. But it was somebody who did a Sentinel fusion. And I had the funny thing is I had watched The Sentinel when it was on the air. And fan fiction didn't occur to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is interesting. It was a fun concept, terribly executed, but it was I thought it was entertaining. But that was about it. Um, and then... And of course, there's that one episode it. where he's in the shower. Well, there, was, there were a lot of interesting episodes where there's full body <laughs> contact in that, in that. You know, there's a lot of... In retrospect, I am, I'm sort of surprised at my... That I watched that without flash goggles on. Of right. Course, that was around that was on the air around the time I think I was starting to get into fan fiction. So I didn't have slash goggles yet, really. I, I hadn't really developed them. Um so yeah, so I got into fandom in nineteen ninety eight. So I was already watching the Sentinel and I, I just hadn't developed slash goggles, I don't think, when I was watching the Sentinel. And then all of a sudden I read a story that crossed over with the Sentinel and I went, Wait, I know this concept. Huh, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of start following the path. And then once you start reading Sentinel Fusions, where the, you've got the Sentinel world building on another, that like just like led me out like like mad. I mean, it was like it was like poison, you know. <laughs> like oh, well, this is genuinely I, the Sentinel is the little black dress. I mean, it is. Because you I can't following... think of a single fandom you can't stick it in. No, you can, we, we, there's nothing. There's nothing where you couldn't. I don't think you. You could, but people joke about, oh, can you do Teletubbies? We did that one day. We had Teletubbies. Like, can you do Teletubbies, Sentinel? And we decided which ones of the Teletubbies were Sentinels, which ones were guides. <laughs> I don't remember what we came up with, but we did do it. Um, Miss Piggy's a Sentinel. You just, it, just, it just kind of, it kind of just kind of branches out like the tree of life, you know. And I start reading all these fandoms I've never heard of before, and getting and it, what I got enraptured with was fandom's interpretation of some characters and sometimes that then leads me to the source material and often I'm very disappointed (laughs) because it's like whoa what is this 
that's not what I was for expecting. me. Source material into fandom. My biggest one would probably be well, obviously Stargate Atlantis, um, followed closely by Inception. I loved the movie Inception, um, and. When I came out of the theater, I turned to my husband and said, I have to go home right now and look up all the fan fiction. <laughs> and there probably wasn't much just, if it was still in the theater. I'm just saying if the Muppets were Sentinels and guys, Miss Piggy would be a Sentinel. <laughs> That's like obvious. <laughs> there you go. But there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, it, there is, there are times when I walk out of the theater and I go, like you did with Inception, and I go, I gotta go see what the fan fiction is. The issue is, is that a lot of times if something's in the theater, there's not a lot of fan fiction yet. Um, so, um, and I think there were like um, ten stories, but I was all in. I was there for it. Well, you know, the funny thing is, I came across Magnificent Seven. I think through a Sentinel AU, in the an ATS Sentinel AU. So it's like, but I didn't know. So I start reading Magnificent Seven, and I read a ton of it, a ton of it. I thought the ATS thing was canon. <laughs> I was sure. <laughs> so I was looking for this show called The Magnificent Seven, and all I can find is this Western. And um, and then I have to do a bunch of digging, and I actually finally had to ask them, and they go, oh, no, the ATF is an AU, it's been made up. I go, but there's more of those than there are of the Old West. And they go, oh, yeah, it's more popular. People like writing contemporary stories more than they like writing Westerns. And I was like, really? You mean there's no show that this is based on? And they said, no, I'm like, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> but I went and I bought the um, I bought the two seasons of The Magnificent Seven and watched it anyway. Um that wasn't that wasn't like disappointment, but it was um, to me it wasn't as entertaining as the the ATS thing. But uh, I mean, it's, I, I think I think that the you know some, somebody in Hollywood should have gone and like paid Mog for her idea and said come be a screenwriter or something for us, and because this is a really much better way to reboot this than just do a Western TV show. But anyway. But there's a lot of fandoms that I now some things I do become a fan of the show. Eventually, uh, but a lot of things I just kind of go. Eh, I enjoy the fan fiction more. I quickly become enamored with um, fandom concepts and tropes to the point where sometimes I confuse fanon and canon, <laughs> and I'm perfectly okay with that. Because the whole point about being a fandom is to be entertained, mm-hmm. um, and to uh, to explore that. And so, but um, yeah, for the most part, um, eventually there comes a point in every fandom that I'm involved in where I divorce myself from canon. And there are defining moments when that happens. Um, I divorced myself from Harry Potter can- canon when Sirius Black fell through the veil. I was done. I still read them, but me and fan- me and canon parted ways there. I'm like, no. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> um... When Rodney got with Jennifer Keller, nope, 
<laughs> I filed for divorce. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what is going on here? Well, my so, divorce from NCIS, I mean, there were a lot of events that led up to some separations, but the divorce was dead air. We've talked about that. <laughs> I was like, I cannot yeah. get past this. What the fuck? <laughs> it was a deal breaker. <laughs> But no, I mean, even before the death of Hedwig, which I think was just pure author sadism, there was no point in that. None. Harry didn't need another lesson in death or loss. It was just, it just, and also it was convenient yeah, because she didn't want to write Hedwig being... on the camping trip. Yeah, I mean, Hedwig was a vulnerability for Harry, but he, that could have been worked around in a way that didn't deal with death. Um, but yeah, it was something like um, she she had said something about it was something about um, oh it had represented a loss of innocence and security. She had been almost like a cuddly toy to Harry at times. Voldemort killing her marked the end of his childhood. Um, what childhood? <laughs> Just, right. I mean, the right? rationale the rationale did not jive for me because. I was like, but you kind of destroyed his childhood long before the books ever started. So, why did you need to kill his 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 first thing? His first why? So author sadism. Uh, it was author sadism. So, but no, I really divorced myself from Harry Potter canon um, the moment that Sirius Black fell through the veil, which I think is also why often I can't help but fix it it's very hard not to fix it one of the most agonizing decisions I had to make when I was plotting Dark with the Lowell was not fixing it because it didn't make sense um, Harry's abilities and control of the black family magic and the ritual circle meant that he couldn't it just didn't make sense to me that he'd be able to push back through time to a point where he didn't have control of that a really difficult decision to make. And also, it would have been hard to include Sirius and other elements of Dracula Lowell um, because Harry being Lord, um, the, the, the Earl of Blackmore was a very big plot point for, for mm-hmm. Dracula Lowell. And so, but it really hurt my feelings to let Sirius stay dead in that fic, I have to say. I think me and NCIS had our first argument when Kate was shot in the head. That wasn't that wasn't her being shot. Really, wasn't the I was surprised, but she wanted off the show. So, I mean, I don't think they need to kill a character. That's sort of a you you don't have to kill a character; just let them be off the show. Um, Sometimes I wonder if they kill these characters when the when the actor wants to leave. It's kind of a fuck you to the actor. It's like you can't come back. my husband binge watched NCIS last year when it when it hit um, Netflix or whatever it was. Um, he comes up to me and he says, "You know, NCIS really likes to kill women." Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Well, but in part, that's about Gibbs, right? I mean, Gibbs has this whole big vulnerability around women, and so women. because the whole sh- because the whole show it is pivots on him, 
they just keep killing the people or the women around him. Well, see, the, yeah. the, for me, the, the reason for me that the Kate shooting is is was the first with NCIS is because it made room for Ziva, and it um, it corrupted in a lot of ways. It corrupted um, the, the structure of NCIS for me because how is this this foreign operative being put into a federal agency and given all the I don't know. It just it was like the straw. Yeah, the the whole Ziva being a foreign intelligence agent, openly being an openly an, a foreign intelligence agent, um, allowed to work cases with NCIS and given internal access to their systems, um, was so implausible that it did. Sh- even if you take set aside the issues about Ziva and her potential connection to Kate's death, which is there's a lot of fanon that I think is well reasoned about that. But setting that part aside, they shattered the suspension of disbelief on the show because procedural crime dramas are, if you actually work like in a in a, in forensics or if you're a police officer, you probably laugh a lot at procedural crime dramas because they're basically bullshit. I mean, forensics are not as advanced as they are on the programs. The programs are more reliable than they are in life. Um, everything happens faster, so there's a suspension of disbelief issue a little bit there anyway, but they have a kind of a well-established, um, this people kind of roll with it because they have a well-established history through CSI and that kind of franchise of letting law enforcement procedures be kind of wacky. And we just kind of go with it and we roll with it. But NCIS then took that step of having, um, an intelligence agent and an actual spy have access to their systems and working with them internally as a liaison of some sort was so implausible. And then she commits that, espionage and gets away with yeah, it. Yeah, she commits espionage the whole time. Yeah, and then they bring her back and and make her a citizen. <laughs> My fandom divorce from Criminal Minds happened when they put Spencer in prison. I have not oh, my fandom. My fan divorce was around Derek. I couldn't deal with him the way they took him out. The, the whole arc of his, no, 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 no. Well, Shamar no. Moore wanted out, and so I, um, okay, at least they didn't kill him. They or they didn't go kill off the rails him. crazy. But they didn't need to perpetuate Jeff Davis's hatred for Derek with the way they let him took him out. I mean, he could have just gotten something better and gotten married and gone off to a, not stop wanting to work to chase the crazies. He didn't. I just, no, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. For those of you who have not seen it, Derek gets kidnapped and tortured by someone because they think he's responsible for the death of somebody during a, an interview. Um, and he eventually kills his captors and he's rescued by the team. Um, but he, decides to leave the BAU um, because the situation um, endangered his lady, his woman, his wife, um, and she was pregnant. And so um, it just, it was more than he could handle. So he got promoted, moved to a different part of the FBI. Um, So it wasn't, um, they could have killed him and that would have been infuriating. Yes, that would have been infuriating. But um, I just I think I think I divorced over that arc because I was something I didn't I couldn't feel like I could watch it. 
um, somebody warned me what, was, what, what it was. It seemed ahead of me, had warned me what was going down. I was like, I can't watch that. I can't watch that. No, no, no. I have to say that I think Shamar Moore's performance during that um, particular episode was outstanding. I believe that, but I just, I can't, I just can't get there. So I'm, and, you know, I can't rewatch those episodes where Reed got tortured either. I saw that once. I was like, whoa, no. <laughs> oh, that was, especially since there's a, especially the, the tone, the tone of the nutbag who had Reed really, really got under my skin. So. Oh, Hankel? Uh, Hank, um, yeah, Tobias Hankel. Mm. Yeah. Whew. That was a rough, that was a rough watch because, damn. Both because the dude played the bad guy in that was on. awesome. He did an amazing job. And I'm like, oh. The only one, yeah, honestly, but, that ever it impacted me as much as that one is the one where Alex O'Loughlin played a serial killer. And he takes this little kid who's um, blind and he takes him on a Ferris wheel. And commit suicide. He doesn't hurt the kid, but it the one the it one stuck that with I me for a long time. <laughs> no, the one with Mitch Pileggi, um, where no. he has that like this, this break where he thinks he's trying not to kill his family, but he's, he's actually already killed them. Yeah, he's 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 kind of shooting other people to avoid hurting his family. He's trying to protect his family. His family's already dead, and that was his psychotic break was killing them. That episode, oh my god! I mean, Mitch Pelleggi did an incredible job acting that out, but it was just so. I mean, it just it was like a punch in the gut. I think I realized about halfway through that he'd already killed his family. And I was I, I I saw it coming. I saw it coming. What's really funny is that my husband re- also binge watched Criminal Minds last year, and have my office on the second floor of our house. And he has his man cave in the um, finished basement, um, and it's, it's literally a cave. And um, he, I could hear him. Oh shit! Oh damn! The whole time he's watching, he's binge-watching Criminal Lines. And at one point, he comes upstairs, and he says, I can't fucking believe you didn't tell me. And I turn around, and I said, cannibalism or meat puppets? He said, fucking meat puppets! <laughs> and then he walks oh. away. <laughs> he has issues. With with um uh ventriloquist dummies and stuff, he has issues with that. So that that episode really fucked with him, and I should have realized that, but it just didn't. Out of all the things that happened in Criminal Minds, the Meat Puppet one is almost it's almost a punchline well, to me. Yeah, well the, the 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 puppets one, the marionettes and the dolls both had similar kind of a similar vein kind of thing. Um, yeah, he skipped the whole but. The doll, uh, the dolls had a different kind of creepy factor, but the, the marionettes just, just viscerally, I reacted super, super like, oh my god. But the most impactful and hardest to watch episodes are the ones where you really kind of understand and relate to the serial killer, the killer, or the spree yeah. killer, or whatever. Which was the Alex Lachlan one, the Tobias Hankel, the one Miss Pileggi was in. Those are all ones where you really are, because the audience is really connecting with the killer. 
and they just like rip your guts out. Um, most of the ones that are super creepy are not, you're not identifying with the, with the killer at all. You're just kind of not identifying, but relating. Um, the ones that are super creepy are the ones where the act, where the crime itself is just horrific beyond measure, like the pig farm. Um, that was a two-parter. Thank you for that, Criminal Minds. A two-part. That was a two-parter to hell and back, or to hell and back. And I have to like say that. that I think that was easily the most justified murder in the entire show. No kidding. No kidding. Um. But when I, you know, it's funny, like, some fandoms for me are kind of like, um, they're more character fodder than um, plot fodder. Uh, so, like, I really like characters in Criminal Minds. Um, but me, just writing a Criminal Minds story is something unlikely because I don't want to write serial killer stories, you know, for the most part. Uh, unless I was writing it in a more, because NCIS is more detached from its serial killers than... Whereas Criminal Minds, the tone of it is all up in the serial killer. And um, I love the Criminal Minds characters. I find them really interesting. I find that dynamic of the team. And so I, if I'm going to write a story like set in Criminal, I mean, Hawaii Five-0 or NCIS or something where I've got a serial offender of some kind, you know, it just makes sense to go to the criminal minds team but just writing criminal minds would be a real stretch for me because it's like i said care they inspire me the characters inspire me the plot lines of of um, criminal minds <laughs> yeah that that makes me tense on the other hand bizarrely if if, if hannibal lecter was not a cannibal i'd be all up in writing that serial killer so you know you never know <laughs> He just—he's right all up in a major squick for me that I can't get past. So that was a case. That was a case of where I was not interested in in that as a fandom. Through any of the movies, I don't care who was playing Will Graham. I don't care who was playing Hannibal Lecter. Not interested until the TV show came out and Murder Has and uh. The murder house, they got a Will and a Hannibal on screen together that had spectacular chemistry, and it was like, shit. Goddamn you. Shit. How dare you make this appealing? What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, murder husbands. I was all aboard the murder husband train, but I can't actually read in the fandom because I'm afraid of the cannibalism. Cannibalism. Mm-hmm. Um, even no, you know, every time Hannibal serves somebody food, and I know they did it on purpose in the show, I thought to myself, "Oh my God, who's that? <laughs> who's that? <laughs> and is that you know? Because you never know. Um, that's the, Which was the great point. mind fucks of the show was you never know who got fed who, <laughs> and if it, you don't know if it happened. So, um. Now, it's funny because, like, um, it was interesting that um, I wasn't I wasn't drawn into the whole um, procedural crime drama thing. Through, even though I was a big fan, I I watched CSI for a long time. All I pretty much were watching was crime drama. I watched the entire Law and Order franchise. 
I watched all of the CSI franchise until I got kind of fed up with Horatio and I stopped watching um, NCIS Miami. I mean, CSI Miami. Um, oh, come on. The best part of that show is when he whips off the sunglasses. <laughs> it, just, it just happened. It just, it, it became, it, right, exactly. It became a gag, though. I stopped being able to take it seriously. And his, I mean, I was like, I, I used to go, does he get, is it like, contra- is it in his contract that he gets, like, you know, three overly dramatic one-liners to end a scene in every episode? I mean, is it, like, contracted that way? Because it's ridiculous. Um, but I was never inspired to fan fiction because of the sheer level of procedure in the Law & Order franchise. For me, you know, I know a lot of people really enjoy writing in those fandoms, but they just it was too procedural, and I wasn't getting enough of the characters. And then... Um, Jag came along. I thought Jag was more character-driven than um, the Law and Order franchise, and I kind of was starting to get kind of like that like little buzz of interest. But then the NCIS spun off, and I was like, okay, this this I like. This has character, has character drama, has the characters have some kind of character arc. There's more than just collecting fibers and running evidence and weirdly doing the job that the police should be doing. Yeah. Um. I don't, I have a, I have a bunny for criminal minds. Um, although it kind of got, it ties it behind, and I've, there's a excerpt on um, Evil Author Day. The thing is, is that Thomas Gibson kind of screwed me without even the benefit of a reach around. I'm just saying, <laughs> Thomas. For fuck's sake. Some lube would have been nice. Well, and so after that, I was like, Oh, because he was going to be, he was going to be, the, the character of Hotchner was going to be the center of that fic, really, um, in the way that John is in Ties to Bind. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> and I'm having a hard time divorcing my feelings for the actor and the character. You know, I, I thought that I wasn't, um, but when I tried to work on a story that featured him as the main character, I kind of stumbled a little bit, and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it just needs more time. I don't do well with recasting characters. Um, I only recast when I'm doing a major age change. I know that really works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. So uh, if, if, if the character is dramatically younger, dramatically older, I'll definitely do a recast. Uh but it just, yeah, I just can't, uh, I can't get there. So, I mean, I see Aaron Hotchner in my head as, being, as as looking like Thomas Gibson. So just picking a different actor isn't going to change what's going on in my brain. And some characters I wouldn't recast if you paid me. Like, you couldn't, you could not get me to. Like, I would never recast Tony DiNozzo, ever. No. Ever. No. 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 I would John Shepard, no. John Shepard, Rodney, no. no. I mean, no. but most of the characters I enjoy writing, I I wouldn't recast them for anything, nothing. You could not you could not persuade me it was a good idea, uh, because if they 
if I've gotten to know them where I've got a visual of them in my head and I, I can hear the way they speak and their intonation and their inflection, um, I can't um, – I can't. I can't get there. I can't get there. I can't just put a different a- actor in the in that place. I guess unless there's a dramatic age thing. Like if I was writing like really, 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 really old Tony, and then I probably would see what I could do with Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did Michael ever be a part where Harry Potter? I have a. I could not. I. Um. No. 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 I it, couldn't recast Radcliffe as Harry Potter. I. I even when I, I was like doing uh, um, Legacy, I um, originally Harry was going to be much younger, but I couldn't find a picture of Daniel Radcliffe that young, so I changed his age in the plot because I could not. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just couldn't. There was. Um, um, I have seen some recasting for Hermione that I thought was really interesting. I was really thought it actually was kind of inspiring, but at the end of the day, I would never recast Hermione either. Hermione in my head um, sounds like Emma Watson. Strangely enough, I don't know how that could have happened, but yeah, there it is. It, yeah. it sounds like Emma could be Watson. Eight movies. So. Yeah. yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, some things are just, you know, entrenched in my brain, so... Um, if, if, if something goes awry for a character on the show or if I really sour on an actor in some way, yeah, it would affect. Um, and so don't, please, please don't start sending me, you know, um, alternate bad acts on, on actors I like. I, one of the reasons why I don't follow celebrity news is because I don't want to know. So, like, Probably the rudest thing you could do is if there you think there's an actor that uh, I enjoy is send me um, their political their shenanigans. Yeah, I don't want to know. If it's really egregious, I will I will not be able to avoid it. So, um, but just send me a list of all their bad bad acts and everything they've ever done and all the tickets they've ever gotten or whatever I are. You know, every complaint about them on the set of a movie. I just please, please don't. I wouldn't read it. Delete. 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 <laughs> it happens a lot in my mailbox. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> delete, 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 delete. Speaking of Gmail and those of you who use Google, did you know that your email archive takes up space in your Google Drive. Yes. I did not know that until about a year ago. And I was like, I'm running out of space. It doesn't make you sense. Oh. <laughs> then I had to delete like 8,000 emails from AO3. You know, chapter notifications. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been um, in fandom a long time. <laughs> there were a lot of them. There's a lot. Well, I get like I think something like forty to fifty thousand Facebook notifications a year. Um, I just I turned all that shit off. And I just go well. I go in once a year because every once in a while I can't find something and it winds up being useful. But um, about once a year I go back at anything that's more than six months old or more than a year old. I just 
purge it. But yeah, my email archive gets really big. But the other thing you can do is if you um, are really attached to something in your email and you like don't want to purge it, is um, connect Outlook or something like that to Gmail. You can download and move the whole... that stuff in, into because if you if you just download it, once you delete it online, it's going to be deleted in your download too. You have to move it to it into an offline folder. So a hard, a, a you know, hard copy folder, and there's a way to do that in Outlook, where you have offline an offline folder, and so you can keep archives of stuff. But true fact, um, you don't get to pick the date on downloading email. So if you hook up your Gmail to your Outlook, it's gonna download every single fucking message you have in your out in your in your Google. That's right. Every single one. All of it. And if you've had Gmail as long as I have, um, 10 years, um, it can be a little big. It, it can be big, and it can take a while. And it'll say, like, a little ticker at the bottom. It'll say, like, you know, message one of 285,000 downloaded. And you'll be like, oh, she. <laughs> <Gee, laughs> like, yeah, I apparently did a much better job of putting things in folders than I thought. Um, Claire pointed out that um, that that – some of the characters in Harry Potter, the adults, were cast older than um, made sense. I completely agree. It was it was jarring in the movie how old people who should have been about 30 were. It's like, why do these people who should be about 30 years old look like they're 60? Because they are 60. So, yeah, it's rough. Um, I completely understand why many times, especially if you're setting things around Harry's birth time, why people would recast Sirius, Snape, Remus. I mean, that makes any of them because the actors were cast really old for the ages they should be. And in some cases they explained it kind of was understandable, like um, Sirius looking older than he was because of his time in Azkaban. Um, Remus because he was a werewolf. But it just starts to kind of wear a little bit thin that magic can't fix any of these people from aging prematurely. Um, I think part of that was a deliberate choice to try to make the children seem, I don't know, to try to make the age difference greater between the kids and the adults so that the kids would have, like, nobody that they could relate to or something. Um it felt a little bit like um, sort of the Charlie Brown thing where you just make all the adults completely unidentifiable to the kids. Yeah, I agree. That probably from the movie they were picking people who were big names for the adults because the kids were all unknowns. So, but still, oh, like yes, everybody I'm also was... all aboard the Ben Barnes train for Sirius Black. I'm all aboard that train. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then we've talked about um, what's his face um, being a really good um, young Severus. Uh, not the way Canon described him, the guy from but Star Wars, a young Alan, but but a young Alan Rickman. Yeah. Um, why am I blanking on his name? I do know that actor's name. Um. Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Oh, it gets there eventually. The brain will kick in. Yeah. Um, Adam Driver, I think, it, or if Google you're looking will. for a young Alan, if you're looking for a young Alan Rickman, I think Adam Driver is a really good choice. 
Um, and Ben Barnes is really good, um, especially when you're looking at pictures from when he did Dorian Gray. Uh, really good for plugging into um, Harry Potter cast pictures. So sometimes I completely understand that. Um, the recasting there because the ages don't really make make a lot of sense. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> I have well, to say like, that what was um, Matt Booker will forever be James Potter for me. I mean, it's it's a done deal. Uh, yeah, the, I, I agree. Get past once, once, once that casting happened, it was like, oh, because sometimes casting is sort of like, that's good or that works. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's that's it. Like it resonates it. so well in your head yeah. that you can't you can't think of anything else. Um, but in in like in the movie, one of the things I struggled with was back in the. Um, oh, if anybody heard that, I apologize. I just smacked my headset with my back scratcher. It was um, it was a very it's like a tap like. Let me let me do it back it, to you. It was a it was a it was a loud tap. It made my ears ring. Um, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't too bad on this end. But in in the movie, um, you know, back when Tom Riddle was you know like nineteen thirty, so Tom Riddle was born in twenty six. He'd been going to Hogwarts in thirty seven. So in nineteen thirty seven, so what is that? Sixty years. Before the Harry Potter, you just have Michael Gambon, but with a red beard playing Dumbledore. That didn't work so well. No, not really. <laughs> I just no. try to picture it. I haven't seen it. Like I said, I I rage quit the movies 15 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, we have the, the same actor playing fire. old old Dumbledore going back to you know welcome Tom Riddle. You know you've been invited to Hogwarts. It's like I don't understand. How come he's not like 60 years younger? And suddenly Dumbledore's 200 years old now in your head because of the casting. <laughs> oh, he's yes, ancient. Exactly. And he was in his 60s like he, when Riddle went to school. But see, if you do that, it kind of fucks up the whole Grindelwald thing if you change Dumbledore's age. Yeah. In World War Two. So you have to be careful with that. It's very frustrating. So Dumbledore... So Dumbledore was born in eighty one. So in thirty in thirty seven, um, he was what fifty six. He should not have looked like an old man. Especially with magic. Yeah, magic apparently is not useful. Magic is that's one thing that's interesting about the Harry Potter universe is magic is remarkably unuseful. Except apparently for killing people. Um, and doing things like that. Anything that's particularly practical about magic, it seems like magic can't do. It can't correct eyesight in canon because Harry and James, there's a lot of people wear glasses. Um, it doesn't, there, are, I there think aren't very many good aging and beauty charms. That didn't seem to happen. Obviously. Um, you know, they apparently needed house elves for some reason. Apparently magic was not all that useful. So, 
I mean, it, it did kind of cool and clever things, but it, in canon, it almost is like, you know, modern magic was in the hands of people who really didn't know what to do with it. So they just kind of did a bunch of stuff, you know, they're like, they're like half-assing it, you know, like the converting the chicken. I mean, you've got magic that can build things, you know, it can make staircases move and stuff. And instead of building a house with magic, you you convert a chicken coop and just add a bunch of stuff on and use magic to keep it all up. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if that's a lot of vision or complete lack of vision. Because <laughs> basically it's like, it's basically like instead of building a house, you're like living in, in a blanket fort, but just the magic version of, we'll just keep adding on to our blanket fort. It's like, okay. So when it comes to canon about magic, I, I'm willing to just jump way away from that train really quickly. I'm much more interested in um, doing interesting things with magic than, you know, muggle-repelling charms and Fidelis charms and this. They didn't do a lot. I didn't think they did a lot of interesting. And actually, anything interesting with magic was just hinted at. Like time turners, they didn't really get into time travel with magic very much, but they kind of hinted at the interesting things. Um, it just the veil, like that magic should be whatever the heck richer. Yeah. There should be more there. <sighs> but like you pointed out before, the whole story was told, well, mostly told from Harry's point of view, and he's remarkably uncurious. So, remarkably, but ju- but just based upon the things he observed, it's like, well, that's not very useful, or well, that's useful, but okay, useful, but still a little bit. It's a little bit like I would um, say if if Harry Potter had been written from Hermione Granger's point of view, magic would be much more robust. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Although I'm especially fond of uh, <laughs> the Draco Malfoy t- title, <laughs> Draco Malfoy and Hagrid's <laughs> Hagrid Chicken. <laughs> it's like this whole collection of, told from Draco's point of view, just the, just the titles. And Draco Malfoy and the year my father will hear about this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Your father heard about a lot, didn't he? <laughs> There's a fan story called The Champion's Champion where um, Draco's <laughs> letters home to Lucius uh, <laughs> makes him an alcoholic and drives him to drink and eventually um, Narcissa leaves him and takes all of his money. Or what did you take from the? Um, yeah, Lucian, Lucius and Canyon is a monster. Fortunately, Canon is just kind of a suggestion for most for fiction writers. Like yeah, that's fortunate and unfortunate because there are um, there's a sector of fandom that's more than willing to um, hand wave bad acts without ever 
um, exploring redemption or um, revamping a character's background or, or changing their canon acts. Um, and so, like, you'll see a story where Harry ends up with Lucius Malfoy after the war. And I'm thinking to myself, are you fucking kidding me? Because he tried to kill him when he was 12. Yeah. He literally tried to kill Harry when he was 12 years old. I think the bad and it never gets explained. I think the bad acts <sighs> that people wave away are kind of they jump out at you, but really people wave away a lot of stuff without bothering to consider the consequences of it. Um, so, but that and that that isn't. I mean, that's just kind of a canon as a suggestion is fine, but if you're going to set something like say, hey, this is canon compliant up to up to year six. Or whatever, and then you do something that where Harry just is remarkably ambivalent about the first six years of his Hogwarts life, or first five years, including Sirius's death. Um, it's jarring that there's just like you know a personality change that happens in sixth year that's never explained, and that you know the explanation often is with Sirius's death. Well, okay. Um, well, what about Sirius? You know, so what about Sirius's death made Harry suddenly come back to school and decide to fuck Draco, or what about Sirius's death made him come back to school and decide to fuck Snape or Malfoy or whatever? I mean, it's like going, well, you changed a lot over the summer. Well, Sirius's death. Well, I need a little bit more than that. I need a little bit more than that. He died. Sirius died. Harry was greatly impacted, and therefore he had a complete personality transplant. That's not how any of that works. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really isn't. It really isn't. So, it, you know, if you want to do a departure from canon, at whatever point you're going to depart from canon, you still have to kind of account for your character suddenly changing. There has to be some some impetus for change, and that and that has to track. It has to track. So let's. I I agree. Sirius's death is impetus for change for Harry. But you've got to be able to track how he changed and, and why. Grief grief doesn't make somebody go back to school and start fucking Sirius's mortal enemy. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's not what grief does. So even, you know, it's just, you gotta, that, that requires grief plus betrayal. So if it comes out right. during, say, Sirius's will, will reading that um, or he, Harry finds something somewhere that that Sirius betrayed him in some way um, then you have acting out behavior um, but then you also have to deal with the fact that you've turned Snape into a hebephile hebephile because there's a there's three there's three yeah. levels of pedophilia basically um and Harry is 15 at that point, so that's a different level of pedophilia than actual pedophilia, which is prepubescent. Um, but still, you've you've turned um, Snape into a child molester. Uh, what's up with that? I don't understand how people can say they love a character and then turn them into a child molester. But then I'm never going to understand Chan, and so I might as well just let it go. Yeah. But I mean, you, if, if from Harry's point of view, you got to do more than just Sirius died, as as right. your explanation. It is it is impetus for some kind of change, but you're going to have to track 
why Harry would change in such a way. Whatever the change is, whether it's whether Sirius dies, so Harry try, goes back to school and asks for a resorting and becomes a Slytherin. Why? What is it about his death that did that? You can't just say, well, Sirius died, so Harry became a Slytherin. What? No. That, that's not no. tracking consequences. Um, and yes, so Harry can go back to school and decide he wants to ride a dick, but you need to explain why he would pick an older man um, who abused him versus, uh, I don't know, some hot guy <laughs> in Hufflepuff. Or something. You need to explain that. Why is this abusive asshole his dick of choice? Just saying. Yeah, there has to be some kind of way to track what what it is. I mean, that's from a character perspective, and um, and it, it, you know, I often have a departure point. There's, there's, I do write complete AUs sometimes, where my characters are not in their canon circumstances at all. In some ways, that's easier and harder because when you're writing a complete AU there's certainly a lot more to account for in the world building but when you're having a departure point in canon there's got to be a reason why that's a departure point you know what what was it what happened why did that character think differently even if it's just acknowledging that they had a, a thought about a time in their life when well use dead air as an example because it's one of my favorites you know, if you're making that your departure point, having Tony get hurt is an easy way to explain the departure. Because in canon, he didn't get hurt, and he blew it off. I don't get that. I think it's bizarre writing, but whatever. But if he gets hurt, or um, even if he doesn't get hurt, if he just calls her back up and doesn't get it, that changes the level of... Um, severity of what happened out there and it would be an easy way of explaining why he would go whoa I have let this stuff go this was sort of like you know death by inches um and now I see it you know we we jumped way over the line I can't even find the line I'm out of here easy easy to fault track that logic now if Tony doesn't get hurt um there has to be something that kind of goes on in his head that the reader kind of needs to see to explain why he goes, I value myself, and I am not going to put up with this. Um, and these people don't care if I live or die. Right. And it's not hard to show that progression in his mind. Um, it could just be one one callous comment, or um, it's really easy, I think, to make that progression, but if you don't just put that one or two lines in or just have that paragraph of thought or a conversation with a friend who says, what do you mean you're thinking about letting that go? Whatever it is, it's easy to put that in and show why he would suddenly go, eh, nope, sorry. If you can't track it with the event, you know, track it, you know, because if he's going to make the event unchanged, you can make the event happen the way it happened in canon and go, okay, this is a problem, but we got to solve this case first, and then I'll deal with this. And then it's easy sometimes when you're away from a situation to go, was it as bad as I thought it was? And then all you have to do is have um, – <laughs> I can't. Um We'd all read uh, that. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. 
But the um, canon, you know, the whole I'm I'm totally on board, totally on board, and some fa- some fandoms more than the others with departures from canon. Um, but if if you use canon extensively, even if canon is extensively your backstory, you can't just hand wave it away negligently. You have to wave it hand wave it off thoughtfully, if that makes sense. You can't rely on canon as you're set up for where your character is in time and space and circumstance and then ignore it at the same time. That, to me, makes no well, sense. Well, you, you can, but it's bad writing. You can do well, all okay. things okay. bad crap. You know, you do whatever the hell you want so, to do. And, right, and then, you know, there's going to be some asshole on, on your fix going, you know what? Da, 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 da. And you can delete that. You do you. But if right. you're listening you you. to this podcast to improve yourself, um, just keep these things in mind. And don't email us. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't, I think you can. I mean, some, sometimes the hand wave is an acknowledgement that you've hand-waved, which is like saying, look, I didn't want to deal with that error, so I'm setting my story in Season 9, but for some reason, Tony was in Italy on a case in Season 8, and that that shit never went down, so that I don't have to deal with the consequences of it. That's that's fine. And that's something you can do in fan fiction that you cannot do in in original fiction, because that, that wouldn't come up. And yeah, you cannot address in the narrative that shit didn't happen because how would that happen? So you have to put it in an author note. I'm just, this didn't happen. Tony was, Tony sprained his ankle and was, you know, recuperating that week and somebody else was doing the undercover work for that op. Fine. Um, and you can, I think you, I think it's reasonable to say, I don't want to deal with these consequences and just acknowledge it. It's when you make canon, some authors are very attached to canon compliance. And it's like, I'm canon compliant up to season nine, and then they don't even address huge things like dead air. And you're a little bit mystified. Well, the thing about, is, is well, that canon doesn't address dead air. So that expectation well, is you're true. asking the author to, um, to address something that is uh, only addressed in fandom. True, but if the story, and I'll think specifically, I read something once where it was set post, like way post, um, a couple years post, I think, post season eight, and it was another case of Tony being left without backup, and Dead Air didn't even come up. I was like, um, not in it, because I've seen this done, people go, you know, like Tony, I read this recently, where it was post Dead Air, and, you know, that Tony had brought it to Gibbs, and Gibbs had Taking, had yelled at Mickey and Ziva, and Tony was wary but going along with it, and then he had another no-backup situation, and he was like, okay, well, I should have known. Okay, it worked. It played really well because they acknowledged that Tony felt like an idiot for having bought into the whole they-were-going-to-shape-up thing. Um, but it was acknowledged in the story, the whole dead air as having had been an event that had occurred and how it had been dealt with and how it had been disposed, you know, disposed of and stuff as opposed to something that has Tony upset about a lack of backup situation and like dead air 
It's like this has happened before. This is a trend, but it's not mentioned in the narrative at all. And I, I, I found that kind of jarringly mystifying. Like I couldn't keep reading because I was like, well, this, this keeps happening to you, dude. You should have done something about it last time, except it's not even mentioned. Wasn't that a what? I don't get it either. I'm going to need clarification on that comment in the chat room because I'm not really sure what that means. But you know, the thing is, is you can, um, you can accept or not accept canon events as it applies to your story. Um, but and that's your choice as a writer. But um, the response you get from your readers will vary per fandom. Yeah. Like when you look about yeah. Magnificent Seven, they embrace the AU. They want the AU. They want you to bring it. Um, but something like Lord of the Rings, they expect you to be as canon as possible, even when Legolas is taking a ride on a dick he never would have taken a ride on in canon. <laughs> right. It's... I mean, they'll get all up in your shit if you were wrong on your distances between this place and that place. And um, it's like, come on, don't you guys have anything else to do but check my mileage? <laughs> really? <laughs> right? This is your it deal. This long is how you're going to die yeah. right here. I had somebody, I've, I've only written one, one, one story in the Tolkien's universe. One, I plotted, I think, three additional. Um, and I, I literally, the mileage thing, it wasn't, actually, they checked my mileage. It, what they did is they told me that a journey that happened in the story would have taken longer than I wrote it taking. I was like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Suck it. There's actually a website out there that tells you um, that somebody has figured out the um, how long it would take to get to the Shire from Erebor on a horse, on a pony, or on foot. Horse has a longer, stri- a, a bigger stride than a pony, so it would take it would be less time. Um, and uh, if you don't have any unexpected uh, confinement or imprisonments, but I cut that off at the at the at the knees in my author note by telling them I don't respect your canon or your maps or your timeline. <laughs> And if they still continue to read after that author note, it's their own fault. All their outrage has, has is a product of their own behavior. And they can suck it. Yeah. Yeah, you just go away, people. I mean, the thing is, is that I consulted maps. The, the writing, one of the things I struggled with in the um, writing of writing in that fandom was the constant stopping to check my references. Uh, it, it drove me batshit insane. And I probably should have just written a rough draft with a lot of blank spaces and filled them in in an edit, but I, I don't know, live and learn. Um, and so I really did try to get like distances and times right, and they weren't traveling far. Um, 
but I was trying to figure out like how far can an army move in a day kind of thing, you know, and somebody decided to tell me I was wrong in my estimation. And I was like, you know what? They're dwarves, right? They're a little bit more badass than humans. So shut up. <laughs> they can move farther because right? I said so. Yeah, but people do get really bent about canon in some fandoms more so than others. And I think people get bent in about Star Trek canon, Star Wars canon. Um, Star Trek um, contradicted itself in several of its books. So, well, you know, Star unless, Trek books you, aren't canon. unless you, well, they're not canon. But people, well, the funny thing, people will reference the books as canon, and then yet tell you something is not canon, which is like. Well, I'll correct say, anybody that tells me that the books are canon because no, they contradict each other and the show and the movies, and and I am never going to get over Scotty and the transporter incident. I'm just I'm I'm not I'm not getting over it. <laughs> not happening. Yeah, it's it's um. There is it, the whole the whole canon thing is such a funny part about writing in fan fiction, um, and the, the degree to which I think you have to deal with canon depends upon the degree to which you rely on it, which is what I said earlier. Um, the more you rely on it, the more you're going to have to deal with the outcome of your changes. The less you rely on it, the more you don't have to deal with stuff. Um, when you write a Sentinel AU, just put some thought into what's different and why. There's a lot of events in a Sentinel AU and a show like um, NCIS that would have gone down really differently, really differently. If Sentinels, if there were a lot of Sentinels in law enforcement, things would have just gone down differently. So if you think about that, um, it's actually more jarring that everything would be the same. Um, but if you, you know, if, but if you're relying heavily on canon saying, hey, canon is unchanged up to my departure point in season 32 of this show, um, well, you've got then 32 years of, of conceivably, of, of his, issues in history to deal with. Um, consider, because you're saying that you let all those events stand intact. I don't know that I... That'd be rough. Not that I think anything's on the show that long, but I mean, it's difficult in a show that's got 14 or 15 years. 32 is obviously hyperbolic, but there, it's difficult well, with a show that's Aren't got, there some soap operas that have that much season? And that's a whole new game, because that's not even like a weekly episode. That's a daily episode. Daily. And that, you could be familiar with one season of canon, and that one season could contradict a fuck ton of stuff. So soap operas are remarkably... Um, inconsistent with themselves. But if you've got a show that's got a long canon, um, it can be, it's one thing to jump in and write in a movie that's got, although that can be rough because if you start writing the Avengers and you just write Avengers movie verse, you're still going to get beat up by the comic book people. They're not going to be able to help themselves. You'll be able, you'll say, this is movie verse only, and they'll come back and go, well, yes, but the backstory on that character is, well, I'm like, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, Doctor Who has a lot. 
lot of history. So it is. It's a little bit of a. By, it's a little bit of a. By February twenty third of two thousand eighteen, General Hospital had aired fourteen thousand episodes. Is that all? Fourteen thousand. Do people actually write soap opera fan fiction? I don't know, but now I have to go over to AO3 and check. <laughs> yeah, you gotta go look. I, I, that was not my judgy voice. I'm the only the only thing that, that was more of my like kind of like I couldn't jump into something that had that much canon. Well, you couldn't. You you. you. Yeah, days of our canon lives, changes so rapidly. And the thing is, if I were, if I were, if I were really into a soap opera and I really wanted to write fan fiction for a soap opera. I would just pick up at some point in time and write whatever the fuck I wanted because that is too much canon to deal with. Still, General you can, Hospital that's one of the things I've heard if you want it on AO3. How many? 751. That's remarkably small for how many episodes there are, but bigger than I expected. Ha, someone's crossing it with Sons of Anarchy. What? I have to say, I have to say, crossovers are both like a delight and a a, a nightmare. (laughs) They are, there are, crossovers have gotten me into so many fandoms. um, And I, it's like, in some ways, it's like the guilty pleasure. but they they're really they can be the devil too. It's like you you look at sometimes sometimes I have to admit as a reader when I'm scrolling past something and I see the list of crossovers I go based upon the fandom somebody has cobbled together I'll be like no <laughs> no 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 I don't care how interesting this is I do not why is that anime fandom and that's not and I've read some stuff in anime fandom so people if you're an anime fan don't don't think I'm judging you because I I actually have actually read. Um, some contemporary stuff with Helsing crossovers that crossover with Helsing, which I thought worked surprisingly well. But still, I still have that moment where I will see like 15 fandoms in a story, and I'll go. And depending on the fandom list, if it's not like the entire Law and Order franchise and CSI franchise, I'm kind of probably not going to get it. It's like, wait, what? Wait, wait, I don't understand how those fandoms come together. Yeah, I agree. Crossovers do lead to the new pairings. They lead to, um, yeah, Helsing is what Helsing is like my my my, my guilty pleasure anime. Um, I really dig it. Um, I don't but, have um, a guilty pleasure anime. Um, my husband is a big fan of Ranma. I I avoid the man cave when that happens. I think you should get one. It's it's kind of, you know, get one of everything. <laughs> that is how fandom seems to work, right? I mean, it's like you get sucked in and then you've you've moved from one thing to another. And a lot of people accuse me of um of dragging them into fandoms they wouldn't normally read, and um, that's probably true. You know, a lot of people um didn't read Harry Potter um 
until I wrote it on well, some of my readers didn't read Harry Potter. Um, they were coming out of Stargate and they were like, are you going to write, are you sure? Are you seriously going to post some Harry Potter? I don't know how I feel about this. And then they read it. And I appreciate that faith. I do. Um, But it's always interesting to come across a reader. Oh, well, I don't read Harry Potter. Oh, well, I'll, I'll go read it because I'm bored and you wrote it. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> they don't mean it to be insulting, right? It's just a little, it's a little twinge, a little backhanded. <sighs> you wrote Harry Potter. Yeah. I guess since I'm bored, I got oh, jack right. shit to do. I'll go read it. <laughs> it's very grudging. <laughs> so Darkness, she read, she read a Teen Wolf and a card captor crossover, Card Captor Secure crossover. I read Card Card Captor crossover with a different fandom. I um I can't believe blanking on the fandom because it was so card capture focused. Um some things it's like some things have a really interesting premise like card capture uh that I think could be fused really well into contemporary fandoms and it's just like you're really surprised sometimes if something just kind of gels out of the anime fandoms. But a lot of times when it's like the anime, I think a lot of times it's the issue for me of the characters in the anime fandom. Um, Not always, but a lot of times it's kind of like the anime characters in the contemporary fandom. And I like, I, that's a case of where if the author really needs to provide a cast, because if they just put up pictures of the anime characters, (laughs) um, my brain just kind of, stutters out I'm that's the case of where I'm too literal to make the leap um but somebody um somebody wrote me and asked me if I would if I would if I would pair Tony with Alucard and the answer is yes if you write it I will read it there as my pledge if you write it I will read it if you build it she will come that's um, right Edie said that Numbers was her first fandom and Ian Crossover's you mean Ian? Oh my God, I forgot his name. Edgerton. Edgerton. Um, as a character, crossed you over into other fandoms. I have to say that I was—I loved the show numbers, and I was super excited um, about doing fan fiction for it. And I went over to the fandom, and it just so happened that the first fiction that popped up on Ao3, Dawn was Charlie. Charlie. Was Dawn and Dawn and Charlie, and I was like. Come on. Come on. There are so many good-looking men in the show. Why are you shipping the brothers? And I was done. I was like, fuck, I can't. I can't. Because you know that fandom ruined Supernatural for me before I ever watched a single episode because of the incest. I was like, I can't. I can't. Damn it. I can't. Incest is the reason I can't have nice things. Yeah. And now, I got lucky. I think my first um, number story was Charlie Ian. Um, it was the first thing I read. It was smoking hot, too. Uh, this was a long time ago. Um, and then I discovered. And then, and then because of that, I went looking for more numbers fan fiction. And then, that's, and then I discovered all the incest. And I went, oh. Oh, no. Okay. P- <laughs> PSA. Send me emails. I mean this. I will cuss you out. Do not send me emails with links to stories that you think are safe in the Sentinel fandom or, I mean, I mean, in Supernatural or Numbers. I'm not going to read them. It's going to piss me off, and I will cuss you out. And don't send me Snary either. 
because I've brought that up tonight. Do not send me emails wrecking me thick. It will piss me off. It's terrible. Yeah. Now, Claire brought up something. It's people people making unrelated characters brothers in order to write incest. People do that. Um, somebody asked me if I was going to do it and was very enthused about it because I made Harry and Draco brothers in Restoration. And I've had more than one request to write a, a future fic with the two of them getting together. Come on. I was like, the first time I thought the person was confused about which story they write about, I said, I think you might be confused about which story you're thinking of because in my in this story, Harry and Draco are brothers. And I went back and said, oh, they're only half brothers. They knew just what they were reading. They knew just what they were requesting. I was like, um, no. <laughs> no. 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 And then it's happened no. more than once that people have asked me to ship to write a future story with the two of them getting paired together. And I just kind I'd of, put a and note, one person, a really judgy note on the bottom of that fic saying, please don't ask me to write incest. Well, somebody then suggested that I then, well, I said, no, I said, just tell me how I do that. So I could get them together with the twins and that they could have occasional foursomes. I was like, oh, incest oh, come Thank you. On. Come on. Come on. When one pair of brothers is not enough, you can have two. Come on. So, yeah. So that is a thing. People do... um, Wait, what's this thing that has the hottest thing I've read all year? I need links, links, links. That's just too provocative, and I can't can't scroll back up far enough to figure out what you're talking about. it said the God the sex scene in backslide at the end, hardest thing I've ever read. I don't know what backslide is. Anyway, um there is um, um there is that is the thing people do is they'll take unrelated people who are not related in canon and make them related and then put them in a relationship. I don't have a problem with one or the other. You're putting people who are not related in a relationship or putting people who are not related and making them related. But just the two ideas together <laughs> um, really freak me out. <clears throat> as much as incest freaks me out, surprise incest pisses me off. Yeah. It's <clears throat> it's gaslighting, and I don't want you know what when I come into a story and and you and you lay it out for me, I'm trusting you to treat me with respect. So don't surprise me with incest or um, explicit child molestation or explicit rape or violence. I, you just don't. This is a this is a a relationship in fandom built on trust. And if you break that trust, I'm, I'm never reading you again. And someone said yeah. recently that oh, well, movies and books don't get warnings like this. That's not true. Movies specifically have a rating system designed to tell um, viewers what they can expect in a movie. And honestly, you can't get an explicit rape scene past or under uh, an NC-17 rating anyway, and it still wouldn't be half as explicit as something that's written. 
because you can't show actual penetration outside of porn, which is an X rating. Um, and in terms of books, book, people use that argument. Some books are starting to do it. Some books, some book publishers are starting to put warnings on books. Um, but right. aside from that, also, it's there's pretty a standard easy. of the genre. Yeah. But it's also pretty easy. I mean, people act like if you should be willing, you have to be prepared to be surprised. But um, the people, anybody I know who has, is, is sensitive to triggers researches a book before they read it. Even and there the are book sites dedicated to that very thing that you can go and put in the title of a book in and it will tell you if there's rape in it, if there's child abuse in it. It will point out major triggers in, in, in book titles so that you won't be surprised. But more in fandom, we have a covenant. We entertain each That's other. Right. We support each other. We respect each other. And if you're not going to warn appropriately for a fic, you don't respect your reader. And if you think, not, if you think warning for explicit rape or incest or it will ruin your plot, then you're a shit writer and you have no business writing to begin with. And it's not often that I take that stance with any writer, but I do. If you feel like you don't have to warn for rape because it will ruin your plot, Fuck you, stop writing. I'm out of It will ruin the surprise, what they say. Um, the I last don't think Ray should be Raven. surprised. Anyway, I don't sorry. think it should be either. There should, none of that stuff should be a surprise. The only one that I can understand um, a little bit that's in the major trigger warnings thing um that I understand the whole idea of not disclosing it in a book could be a published book could be a, could be a, a ruiner of the plot is major character death because some authors do employ mm-hmm. that very effectively. But if you're somebody who's sensitive to major character death, you will know before you buy that book that it has major character death because you'll be, you'll be checking for that kind of thing. Um, but in fandom, it's almost more egregious in some ways, major character death, because it. <sighs> We get we know these characters, and we've we've spent potentially if you if you've been in the fandom for a long time hundreds of hours and millions of words with that character, and when you're really enjoying a story and that character dies unexpectedly, it can be like having your guts ripped out. So I understand the published novel why they wouldn't warn for major character death. Um, I don't understand it in fan fiction, but because I'm really get freaked out by major character death, my friends. If I, you know, they'll tell me if a book that I'm buying has major character death in it. The the warning system is, is, you know, I have the alert system built in already. I have issues with um, terrible and ambiguous endings. Um, so I was yeah. contacted by multiple friends when um, the last uh, Children of the Earth book came out, and every one of them said, "Don't read it." Don't read it. What's it called? Um, I don't. I don't actually own it. Um, it's not Shelters of Stone because that's the one I. But that's the last one I bought. The very last Gina Yule book um, with Aelia, um, or ever how you say her name, ever how you choose to say her name. Um, it ends badly. It ends very badly, and I do know how it ends. Someone told me eventually, but I was every friend I got who read that series. Even, 
I got emails and phone calls. Don't don't buy it. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. If you already bought it, take it back to the store. Don't read it. Because they knew how pissed off I would be. And then when I heard about the ending, I was furious. <laughs> and I didn't even read it. <laughs> Paint, yeah, Painted Caves, something like that. Um, something, something like that. It was... I don't have to look it up. The Land of the Painted Caves. Yeah, it's, um, it, like I said, I've never actually read it, but I've gotten a summary of the ending, and it's a, it's a nightmare. In the, um, Raven's last question um, was, does, basically I'm paraphrasing, does a writer need to know the canon to perfect their work? And for all the reasons that we've talked about tonight, I would emphatically say no. Canon can be something that you need to account for and know, but it certainly isn't necessary. And some of the best, fan, best stories I've read in any fandom um, had nothing to do with canon. <laughs> I would agree. Some of the best stories I've ever read were complete AUs, and I was like, Yes, we're down to 60 seconds. Um, like I said, Lord of the Rings is the exception. If, if, unless you can handle the abuse you're going to get from readers or just ignore it because fuck that. Turn off comments. Uh, anyways, 47 you seconds. You do you. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Always do you. <laughs>